Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today we're joined in the Sojournal Podcast by 1985 Johnson University, Tennessee graduate Harold Keck. Harold, welcome to the Sojournal Podcast. Thanks, Tyson. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Looking forward to getting into this conversation and learning about your journey. As we get started, would you mind just quickly giving people uh, an introduction of yourself? Sure. Well, um, my wife and I, Missy, uh, we have two boys, Nathan and Zeb, who are out of the house. And uh, I am a lead pastor at Seymour Heights Christian Church right down the road here, about six miles, and an adjunct professor here at, uh, at Johnson. Very good. So Seymour Heights, how long have you been there? A little over 10 years. Started there in February 1st of 2012. <laughs> That's great. So I'm sure that people who are listening to the podcast, obviously they're alumni, alumni most of them anyway, and they will be very familiar with Seymour Heights Christian yes, they Church. Will be. So uh, good, glad to know, and that gives a good context. So as we get started, Harold, um, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Where were you raised? Were you raised in a Christian home? Yes, I was raised in a little town that we'll all make fun of called Rochdale, Indiana. <laughs> Rochdale. And yes, they still do have cockroach races on the 4th of July there is what I'm told. <laughs> uh, it's about um, 45 minutes southwest of Indianapolis and grew up there. Uh, my family, my parents, very involved in the church. Uh, my father uh, became a Christian like at age 16, 17. And it was kind of the typical story. He was the basketball star of Putnam County, Indiana, and he married the, the cheerleading leader there. And, and so um, we grew up attending Rochdale Christian Church. And my parents kind of made some strategic moves there to understand that that church was kind of on the verge of, of dying at that point. They, they just felt like we need to get more involved uh, in, in another church. My mom uh, led a lot of singing all over the West Central Indiana, revivals and things like that. And she met a man named Bob Brazil, who was preaching at New Brunswick Church of Christ. And Bob is alumni here, uh, from here. And so we got connected and then we started attending New Brunswick Church of Christ. And uh, finally, uh, right around my, well, the summer of 1976, we made the move. We actually moved about 30 minutes to the area of New Brunswick, which is about nine miles south of Lebanon, Indiana, if people know where that's at. And so that was kind of my, my uh, upbringing, part of the church family there. And I can tell you later another story about how I came to Christ there. So from, from your first day out of the womb, you were in a Christian family. I, I was, and I think the thing that uh, really has left the biggest impact uh, on my life is that our parents, for, for all of us, that's four children, our parents backed up what they said on Sunday. Mm. It, was, it was truly lived out uh, in the, the daily aspects of their lives. Interesting. That's good. I mean, it's, it's good to have that kind of an example as you're growing up. 
So you, you said you're one of four. Oldest, youngest, middle, where are you? I'm number two out of, out of four. Okay. Uh, my older sister, Tana, uh, she actually came to Johnson for a year uh, in 1978. And then I'm number two. And then my brother, Damon, is the third child. And then Christy, 10 years younger than me. And she came to Johnson as well. So it was kind of the two boys there in the middle. And you went from Rochdale to New Brunswick. Now, uh, how old were you when your family transitioned away from Rochdale to New Brunswick? The best I can recall, I was around six, seven years old, uh, is really kind of when, when we made that, that shift. And the church there in New Brunswick, uh, I can't even begin to really express the impact that little church, little country church out in the midst of bean fields and cornfields made on my life. My fifth grade and sixth grade Sunday school teacher was Violet Randall. And if that name rings a bell, uh, Lawrence and Violet Randall, uh, the RPC uh, lobby is all donated in their memory. Lawrence was a farmer. And when I decided to go to Johnson, there were many times in the fall after the corn and beans had been harvested, Johnson would receive a check or I would receive a check to go help pay my tuition here. <laughs> That's great. Now, their names were? Lawrence and Violet Randall. Lawrence and Violet. So, New Brunswick. I'm trying to remember where New Brunswick is located. Is that on 39 between it's, Lebanon it, and Lewiston? Exactly, on 39, right uh -huh. there. And when we moved in 1976, we moved just inside the Boone County line. They're just north of Liston. Uh -huh. So that's why that church there was kind of really made up of people that went to Lebanon High School, the dreaded Lebanon Tigers, and then I was from Western Boone High School, the Stars. Uh-huh. Did you have any Tri-West, Northwest? We had, we had Tri-West people there as well. We just don't talk about that. So. <laughs> Tri-West is the school of my family, so come on. <laughs> so I was raised in Liston. That's why oh, wow. I, I sort of had I didn't this, realize that. Yeah, I had this perspective of New Brunswick. Yeah. Um, good. So uh, nice. We're close neighbors. So you went to Western Boone High School then? Yes, went to Western Boone, and I was really involved in the musicals. Uh, I always enjoyed that, that aspect. Uh, with my mom leading singing, I, you know, even as a fourth grader, fifth grader, sixth grader, I would do narration and stuff. I always loved that. I always thought that was fun. And uh, so I was, uh, you know, in Oliver Twist, I was Mr. Bumble. In Oklahoma, I was Judd Fry, you know, poor Judd is dead, a candle lights his head. Uh, and then my senior year, I got to be Harold Hill in The Music Man. So. Wow, <laughs> that's great. So being on stage was never anything new to you? It, it, it never really frightened me at all. So were you singing then from an early age? Yes, as, as my mother would, as we would travel around, uh, with revivals, my mom would get asked. To, my, my mom was blessed with with truly an amazing voice, uh, and she had. And of course, I'm biased, but she had this this powerful way of just drawing people. It was so sincere, so authentic. Her smile, and she led. She just kind of got the best out of people as they would sing, and so she was asked to do lots of revivals. And and I I recall quite often Dad coming home from work getting a quick shower, jumping in the car, and heading someplace like to Attica or to Petersburg or to Covington, Indiana for revival. And we'd be there, you know, nightly. And at a young age, my sister Tana and I would, uh, I'd stand up on a chair and, and sing with mom and, uh, and my sister Tana. So we would uh, do a little Keck trio. <laughs> That's neat. 
Uh, well, I guess you did carry that into high school because you mm-hmm. were involved in the musicals and things like that. Did you get into being the typical Indiana boy? Did you play any basketball or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I, I, I love basketball. I, uh, I played up till, till eighth grade and kind of stopped after that. Mm. Uh, I played a little bit of football, too, in, in, in junior high. But then I kind of just started to kind of focus on I enjoyed the choir and, uh, and the musicals. And we would typically do a drama in the fall and a musical uh, in the spring. Mm. And so that, that pretty much kept me busy. Tell me about your faith development then. Uh, you said that, you know, it started in Rochdale. You were going mm-hmm. to these revivals, but really developed at New Brunswick, especially under the influence of the Randalls. At, at age six, so, so we actually had made the shift and started attending New Brunswick at, for me around age six, as I think about it now. So I remember just, again, my parents love Jesus. I love Jesus. They're going to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I mean, at, at age six, it's like, I, I want to give my life to Christ. I'm ready. And my parents were kind of like, you know, we, we, we appreciate your interest. And I think like any typical parent, you're trying to, does, does this child understand what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a big decision. And so I, I honored their, their wishes. I kind of just waited. But in my mind, I said I was going to wait one year. So when I had my seventh birthday, as shortly after my seventh birthday as possible, I, I went forward and said, I'm, I'm ready. And I can still, uh, Tyson, remember going back uh, to the changing room. Of course, my dad was there. Bob Brazil baptized me, and then I came out of the water and got back to the changing room. There was this big mirror there, and I just remember my dad hugging me, embracing me, and uh, with tears in his eyes. And I just remember looking over and kind of seeing that, that picture in my mind there of, of us embracing. Mm. That's such a neat picture. It's good to have that that kind of a memory. Yeah, it's yeah, significant. It's, it, it's a it's a very significant and 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 that led to our families, um, the Kecks and the Brazils. Bob Brazil was the preacher. We became very close. Uh, as I said, until we actually moved in 1976, we were making that trip. So often on Sundays, the Kecks would just go over to the Brazils, and we'd go out to eat, go someplace, hang out in the afternoon, get ready for the evening service. So I was, I can't say that I was ever raised as a preacher's kid, but about as close as you could be without being a preacher's kid. We just mm. hung out a lot together, went on vacations together. And, uh, and Bob would, would tell me as a young boy, six years old, seven, year, seven years old, you're going you're gonna to be a preacher one day. Harold, he called me Harold Edward. And I recall Bob had a ring, a Johnson ring, and I'm looking down at that ring right now. I saw Bob wear a Johnson ring with a red ruby stone on it, and I said at age six, seven, I'm going to get me one of those. I'm going to Johnson Bible College. That's where Bob went. Even though my birthstone is September in Sapphire, I wanted the red just like Bob. And uh, that, that dream eventually was fulfilled. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, I'm trying to remember what year what years Bob was here. Do you remember? It would have been the... Real early 60s. In fact, I th- I'm thinking like 62 for some reason. I, I think, if I remember correctly, there was like a appendicitis or something that did. I don't know if he actually ever completely graduated just because of some health issues there. Mm. That Brazil name, there's been uh, several Brazils. Yeah, Reggie Brazil here. was their oldest. He came through here. Sherry Brazil, uh, Denise, who married Kurt Alexander. They're there at Lebanon Christian Church today. Mm. So, yeah, that, the Brazil family, um, 
really had a, a tremendous impact on our lives. Nice. And Joyce still comes to Senior Saints. So. <laughs> it sounds like at seven years old, even though you were so young, it sounded like y- your faith was firm. I believe very, very much so. My faith was firm. My direction was set. I was going to go preach. I just, I know what happens, but it's hard for me when people like going back and what I want to do in life. It's like, I've always known. It's like it, it's been so set in my life. Now, I have to admit, in my high school years, it wasn't cool to talk about, I want to go be a preacher. Uh, so I just kind of downplayed it. Uh, and, and no doubt, I could, I could at times be a chameleon, you know, mm-hmm. be a, kind of a different person at school than I was when I got off the bus and, and got into the house. But, but I just really felt like I wanted to preach. And um, my first sermon was uh, in sixth grade. I got to preach on a Sunday night at our church. And it was on idle words, and I still have a copy of that at, at, my, at my desk at home, uh, all written out, and it's a terrible sermon. <laughs> but but it, was my, it was my first shot uh, at, at preaching, and uh, I just kind of never, never looked back at that. It just That's what I wanted to do. So when I, I still can vividly remember my senior year in high school at Western Boone, and we're in psychology class, we're going around the room, the teacher's asking us all, now where are you gonna go? when you graduate and oh, this person's going to Ball State, this person's going to Purdue, IU, you know, we're all going around. And then Harold, where are you going? Well, I'm going to Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh, UT's there, right? Yeah, yeah, UT's there. So I, so I couldn't really bring myself to say I'm going to Johnson Bible College. Um, but, uh, but I knew that's where I was headed. Hmm. So sixth grade first sermon, and you said you could be kind of a chameleon in high school. I think that describes a lot of Christians who give their life early, mm-hmm. is that they can kind of waver in, and in in their Christian life, and and it wouldn't be until later that they established faith as their mm-hmm. own. But it sounds like you always had that faith as your own. I f- I feel like I did, um, especially. I mean, my grade school years, I was very. I was very, I think, focused, I mean, trying to learn, trying to grow. When we made that shift in junior high, when we moved, and it was like a whole new set of friends, that's kind of when I kind of had my, I guess, a little bit more my crisis of faith of, like, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a a new. The other school, they knew who I was from the very beginning. This Mm -hmm. place was all brand new, and and I think that desire to be included and that, uh, and I I was an overweight kid. I was a heavy kid. And so, uh, you know, I could make jokes and crack jokes, and I got, I, I kind of got accepted by just being silly and, and goofy, hmm. and, uh, and that, um, you know, I could do my own little Saturday Night Live skits and stuff, you know. That's kind of the point where I was just, the, the grounding that I had, I think I just kind of took a little break from it. You know, I, I felt like in my soul of souls, I knew I was not changing what I was doing. I was going to be a preacher. This is what I felt called to do. But I just kind of tried to, I think, fought it there for a few years. Mm. That's interesting. As you say that, it makes me think, you know, that's a danger that all of us as Christians face face when we put ourselves in new circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to be in an area where everybody around you knows who, you're, exactly. who you are and who your identity is. But mm-hmm. to be in a new situation is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's instructional, I think, for, for a lot of us in a lot of ways, because that's the same thing we could struggle with as adults. Sure. So uh, tell me then about ultimately making your way to Johnson. I mean, I guess from six years old. <laughs> yeah. 
there was no tough college choices for me. I mean, it was this is where I was going, and uh, a few people from our church, of course, had attended. Like I said, Reggie Brazil and and John's uh, New Brunswick, although it was a small, smaller rural church, sent a lot. We would call them Timothys. We we sent a lot of people to Bible College, mm-hmm. uh, and it seemed like a majority came to Johnson. Mm-hmm. I think again, Bob's influence on people's lives. And so it was like it was settled in my mind. I was coming here. And so uh, we arrived in, in August of 1981. And, and I can still remember uh, my grandparents' vehicle with mom and dad in it and my younger brother and sister and all waving goodbye and as they, as they took off. And, and I got acclimated to, uh, to college life here. <laughs> Did you ever even look at any of the other colleges? I mean, did you take a visit to Cincinnati? No, or? no I really didn't. I, I knew that, like, when we do my testing in high school and stuff, I would usually typically put Ball State in or something like that because um, I, I did have a little bit of an interest in, in radio and television with, with just kind of, again, narrating, being up in front of people and that type of stuff. I, I love doing that. So I would just kind of put the token in there, but it was it was decided it was it was here from an early age, so it's just... And I can still recall my dad, the day that they left uh, and headed back to Indiana, he took me aside. I think we were in front of the PW building, kind of walking around, just he and I. And he just, now, Harold, I just want to tell you something. You know, I hope you have a great experience here, but just remember, this is not heaven on earth. Hmm. I think he was just trying to help me see that, you know, it's not, it's not this little perfect place that maybe you've got pictured in your mind, son. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to do some growing up here. You're going to probably see some things. You're going to, which again, I, I, I took it as well as I could as a 17 year old. I, I, I was, uh, I graduated uh, at 17. I went into school early having a September birthday. So I was always the youngest one in class. So, so I arrived on campus and uh, was here a month or so before I turned 18. How did you see your father's wanting play out? Well, I think he was very wise in, in that I, I probably came with some rose-colored glasses as far as just expecting everyone to be just wonderful Christian people, mm-hmm. fruit of the Spirit, evident in all of our lives. You hang out in Brown Hall a little while, and that, that, per, that, that uh, bubble gets burst pretty quick. Now, I mean, we, we saw just exposure to just life in general and mm-hmm. the ups and downs and hurts and heartaches and bad decisions and... So, I mean, I saw that, I saw that played out with, with students and, and I think even just encounters with, with faculty members and things just to, I felt like there was, there was a few that kind of let their hair down, so to speak, and could be real with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always loved uh, Jerry Mattingly and talking to Jerry. In fact, Jerry really, and he probably doesn't even realize that I've told him, but uh, he really was one of the big impressions upon me to go to seminary when I when I graduated. Hmm. Uh, he went to Southern Seminary and got his PhD there, and, and I just really felt like I, I wanted to continue my education when I left here. Uh, but first, I, I found my lovely bride here, and it wasn't <laughs> like I came, you know, to find a wife. It was just, in, in fact, my freshman year dated a little bit, sophomore year dated a little bit. I'm like, eh, let's just forget the dating scene. I'm just going to focus on advanced Greek because it takes everything I've got to get through <laughs> Lee Richardson's class. And I'm not going to worry about dating at all. I'm going to focus on my studies, and that's when Missy came along. And uh, I think I told this 
this story once in chapel on Founders Day a few years ago, but I, I spotted her in biology lab, and uh, just as she walked out, uh, there's something there that got my attention, and <laughs> I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this girl out. We quickly started dating. Uh, that, that would be the January of my, of my junior year, our junior year. And so that's how a, a Hoosier and a Mountaineer got together at Johnson. <laughs> a Mountaineer. So yeah, she's from she's West Virginia? From, she's from Polka, West Virginia. <laughs> that's great. I want to go back to, you know, your father's advice. And I asked that question only because I think it's important for people to recognize whether they've had experience here or not had experience here that, you know, we talk about a prophecy having both a right now and a not yet kind of an mm-hmm. application. And I think the same is true in our Christian lives that we have sort of this, yes, right now, but there's also this not yet. You know, we yes. are we are being made. Right. We're not <clears throat> we're not already perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, just getting your perspective on that, getting your father's perspective on that. I mean, that's good. We yeah, we're, we're a wonderful place and a great community and and tremendous people, but we are all also broken and imperfect. Broken. And yes. And, and, and we need to, to learn how to forgive and extend grace mm-hmm. uh, as we receive grace from other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think at, at one point, well, another big influence really when I was here was Stan McDaniel, always trying to burst the Johnson bubble mm-hmm. and just remind us of, hey, this isn't always the real world. I mean, there are things around here. Don't, don't go isolate yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and you could on this campus to some extent if you wanted to, mm-hmm. uh, especially back then. It's different with what all is available now with Internet and everything else. But uh, back then you could pretty much just kind of find yourself and tucked away someplace and away from the world. And he would always kind of had a way of reminding us about this real world that's around us that we're to go be salt and light in. Mm-hmm. Just last night I was at concert for Caleb, Caleb Mullins and the witness so Caleb Mullins is a preacher at West Town Christian uh-huh. Church has a has a band they had an album release party last night and so uh, after the the whole you know bands did their thing uh, I was talking with I think it was Ron Bull <laughs> and the idea of you know what would Stan McDaniel say <laughs> at this yes. concert you know how yeah. what would he say to Caleb after this after the music and what have you it's just fascinating I never got to know Stan McDaniel so you mentioned Stan you mentioned Jerry Mattingly uh, who are some of those other faculty influences that were most important to you as you were here I loved being in Dr. Black's class uh, his Old Testament class I can remember some of his you know his Pharaoh famous Pharaoh shuffle as he talked about the the plagues uh, <laughs> He, he was a guy that, of course, I think would intimidate us all, mm-hmm. so to speak. I mean, it just kind of just his mannerisms and things. And uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, you know, time in, in his classes. Like I said, Dr. Mattingly was, was a huge uh, influence upon me. I, and I think I always go back and say, why was it such an influence? And, and I, Dr. Mattingly made learning fun. It's, it's like I never really had to study for now, I, I need to study, but I didn't have to study. It's, it's like it just stayed with me, the content from being in that class. So tests were never challenging because it was like it, it, it almost absorbed us as we, you know, as we went, went forward in that class. Lee Richardson, Lee was a character. Of course, he and, and Lavella just passed away recently. But Lee is, I had him for Greek, very 
challenging way. And I talked to Lee later about why did he teach the way he did with Greek. We had no textbook other than the Bible and his flow charts. They were called W2 charts, W1s and 2s and 3s that we carried around with us in our folders with, with verb endings. And, and, and he, told, he told us, he said, you know, well, most of you are not going to go on to seminary or whatever. I want you to learn how to just basically pick up your Greek New Testament. And, and so we were drilled with vocabulary words. Hmm. Uh, we knew vocabulary. We started translating you know, very quickly into John chapter 1. Our next year, advanced year, we, we were translating in the book of Hebrews. Very difficult stuff. And it was, uh, I didn't always, I think, appreciate him in the moment, but I really came to appreciate him, I think, later in life. And then ended up being this preacher, which was really bizarre. <laughs> well, I tried that Greek thing. That, uh, <laughs> that did not happen for me. <laughs> but I'm glad that you stuck with it and, and gained so much out of it. What are some of the experiences that you had at Johnson that stand out to you uh, academically, socially, spiritually? Um, I, I think that there was a progression of, I was very like focused in studies my freshman year. Sophomore year, it was kind of like, okay, I'm here. Uh, some of the friends I, I was with, and we just kind of like, let's, let's enjoy some of life around here. And I kind of didn't take my, my, my studies maybe as seriously that that sophomore year, uh, but just, you know, just wanted to enjoy life, have fun, enjoy the time around here. There were, there were a certain few probably chapels that, that stuck with me. There were, uh, of course, back then we, we went to chapel five times. And after my freshman year, we, we ended the, the Monday night chapel, but Monday night you'd put your suit back on and go. And we did our family style meals on Tuesday and Thursday nights, which is really it was really kind of cool, honestly, when I go back and think about it, just sitting down and, and having conversation and eating family style. That, that, uh, that, was, that was really neat. The, the time there spent uh, with chapel, spiritual development, uh, just, just great friends, just talking about life. And Tim Wingfield and I have been friends uh, for many, many years, and we actually became friends even before he attended here, uh, when they would come, his family, of course, the Wingfield family is a huge uh, Johnson family. When they would come for homecoming, Tim would either be on our wing because his brother Steve was right across the hall from me. And so I got to know Tim. And then when Tim ended up coming here, we, we were roommates my senior year. And he was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. And so just some of those, those friendships that have weathered all the storms, all the seasons of life, I look back and, and that was, that was you know, a very powerful blessing from here. I think as far as my education goes, it was back then again, of course, 81 to 85, the majority of students, well, definitely Indiana led the way. It was a lot, I mean, mostly Christian church, Church of Christ background. That's, I know that's a little bit different today. We, we almost kind of just spit back kind of what we were supposed to say and what we'd been around. And that's not all bad. I, I don't think my time at Johnson really helped me learn to make it my own faith in the sense that why do I do some of the things? I mean, we all do these same things. We all take communion weekly. We all do this. We, when I left here, that's, I think, the time for me that I really began to own. I knew the right conviction, so to speak. I just didn't always know why. Hmm. 
And my time at seminary really helped me, I think, form and shape an ownership of, of, of my convictions and, and, and my experiences. Hmm. Highlight events. Did you get involved in uh, singing groups here at Johnson? Yes, I, uh, I sang with um, the Johnson Choir. I remember our freshman year, we toured um, Florida. We got, uh, I think, a half a day at Disney World out of that. <laughs> Wait a minute. So were you riding in the van with? We were riding in an old, old, old bus. Motor. Oh, bus. Okay. Uh, an old, old, uh, probably should have been taken off a road Greyhound bus. <laughs> Was Wilbur Reed driving? Uh, Lee Richardson. Oh, Lee Richardson. Okay. And I can still remember Lee. We we had like a couple hours at a beach one day. I forget exactly where we were, and he was walking along the beach with his cowboy boots on. Uh, <laughs> typical, in, in typical Lee fashion. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, my sophomore year, I we, we kind of formed a band. Of course, that was kind of the cool thing to do. And, and I think our band was called Deliverance, and, and we sang it a few few churches and I, and I still remember uh, one of the guys uh, was related to Rich Mullins in, in at college at that time and we were supposed to go to this church and, and sing and do do a little concert and and Rich agreed Rich was our opening act <laughs> <laughs> it really should have been of course as we all know the other way around but <laughs> but uh, he opened up with a song and then and then I think the audience that from that point on was really disappointed with with, with our group after that. <laughs> So that's one of my that's yes. one of the highlights I think. Uh, you met Missy in your junior year. Did you wait until after you graduated to get married, or did you do it? Yes, morning? we um, we basically I don't know why, but but the number three became our our key number. So I was ordained at New Brunswick on March the third of nineteen eighty five. We uh, graduated May the third. And then got married August the third. <laughs> so uh, we dated, you know, for our, starting our around January of our junior year, and then we got engaged in February of, of our senior year. And I knew I was going to be in, in Louisville, Kentucky, so uh, after we got married, we uh, were there at seminary at, at Southern. Uh-huh. That's funny, the number three. That's when my wife and I met, neither one of us were Christians, but yeah, three was the number. It's well. like, you know, when are we going to get married? Well, three weeks, three months, three years, who knows? <laughs> we got married three months after we met. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, that's fun. Uh, so you obviously gave away the uh, the next step in your journey because you said you went to Louisville for seminary. So why? What made you decide to go down that route, further education instead of uh, going into ministry straight out of school? Well, I, I felt like my time at Johnson, I, I, I'd really kind of just I felt like kind of cracked the door open on my education. Mm-hmm. I was still hungry to learn. Mm. Um, I and, and I knew at that point a huge majority of graduates. You went right into ministry. There was not even even a thought of continuing education. It just didn't. It was it was rare. However, the when I was a freshman and came in eighty one, the seniors at that time, like Jeff Knoll, uh, and I'll talk about him later in, in homecoming. Jeff Knoll uh, was my RA, and uh, there were two or three students that went on to Southern, and they were there. So when I finished up here at Johnson and, and was graduating heading on, they were finishing up their uh, graduate degree. And so that, I, I knew those guys, and, and, and again, they had been impressed also by Dr. Mattingly. Uh, I looked at Cincinnati. I, I looked at a couple other places. I looked at pricing of it. 
I knew I was getting married. Really, Southern Seminary, at that point, you paid the same amount as a Southern Baptist, whether you were Southern Baptist or not. They didn't care. I filled out the stuff. I, uh, I worked through it. And, and so if I recall correctly, it was only like four to $500 a semester that I was paying wow. in tuition uh, because the Southern Baptist Convention supported it mm-hmm. uh, with millions and millions of dollars. So that was also, I think, a, a factor there in, in deciding, you know, just boiled down to money, too. Wow. And I knew there'd be a, a decent education there as well. Uh, what did you study at Southern? So, so I arrived there in August and did the Master of Divinity program in preaching and teaching. Walked in and did not realize there was a battle going on. I walked right into the, the hornet's nest of the battle taking place in the Southern Baptist Convention over Southern Seminary. Was it going to be liberal? Was it going to be conservative? What was going to happen? And all these people, you know, fellow students, well, which side are you on? I'm like, I, what side are we talking? I don't even know what we're talking about here. I'm just coming from Johnson Bible College here to study. I, I was so naive into, mm. I just wasn't in those circles uh, to, to even know all that they were talking about. And so it was just, it's, it's, it's interesting to look back and see uh, just the battle lines were being drawn. It was getting ugly at times, outbursts, uh, demonstrations. And I'm, you know, I'm just here to study the Bible and, and learn some more. And I just kind of focused on that, of course. But, uh, but I began to learn more about it uh, mm-hmm. as, as, my time, as my time was there. And, but I really enjoyed... Like I said, I, I feel like that's where I began to really own my faith. Why did I do some of the things that I, that I do, rather than just simply, well, we all do them. Some great professors. David Garland, who, I mean, these are, these are guys writing commentaries and spending time with them. Dr. Blevins did his, his class on the Book of Mark was amazing. Uh, like I said, I, I once again... I arrived there naive, thinking that I just didn't understand seminary. I thought everyone's coming with a Bible college background. Now the Greek's going to get even harder. Now I've got to be introduced to Hebrew, and that's going to be a challenge. I, I just that's just kind of how I envisioned it. Again, I was naive. Little did I know that no, these students are coming Baylor and Samford and Shorter College and where you know. All these places, now they're doing, and they've got a degree, under, undergrad degree in biology or something. Now they're coming for their Bible college training or seminary training. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, I've already done some of that. So the beauty of that is I got to test out of you know, beginning classes, and it really allowed my, my three and a half years there. I got to take a lot of, of great New Testament electives. Hmm. And it was, it, was a really, it was a really good experience. And, and for Missy and I, as we were just growing together as a young couple— and building friendships and, you know, appreciating, again, different perspectives from people. All, all those years I was preaching, usually there in southern Indiana, preaching on the weekends, also to try to hate to keep uh, ends met. I would clean houses on Monday uh, of, a, of a particular couple that had used seminary students for years, and I would clean their house, mow their yard, wax mm-hmm. their car, and just do, I was kind of their, their uh, little handyman on Mondays. Uh, just to put a little gas money in my pocket and get us back and forth to the church. <laughs> uh, something, something you said there about uh, folks that you were studying with at seminary made me wonder, did you take any media tech courses when you were a student at Johnson because you had that interest? 
No, I ended up not doing that. Uh, now, Missy was taking some of those courses, uh, but uh, but I I didn't really, those didn't work into my schedule. Okay, I'm just sort of curious. So then, uh, real quickly, because I want to ask you a little bit more before we get to the end of our time. Um, take me through your, your journey, your stops on the journey. Where did you go? What did you do? So how did you discern your first step after uh, seminary? Where were okay. your various stops? So... When I graduated from Johnson in 85, I found, I knew I was going to be living in Louisville, so I was searching all that spring for a congregation. So a little place called Tampico Christian Church near Crothersville, Indiana. So that summer before I was married, I would drive down from from New Brunswick every Sunday. My brother and I in my 72 Monte Monte Carlo uh, drive down, I'd preach and go back. And then, of course, once we got married, I'd only have an hour drive. It was about an hour north of Louisville. So we were there for the uh, first two and a half years or so. And, and we would have been very happy just staying there. And we talked to the church about potentially uh, bringing a little trailer in there and a place for us to live. And they, they'd always had just part-time pastors. And, and we were like, we believe it could be more than that. Uh, I'd, I'd, I've, always, I've always tried to look in ministry as... It's, it's, this isn't just a, a starting point and I'll get to this and I'll move to this. It's like, I've always, I've just always felt been trained of like, I, when God calls me a place, I'm, I'm willing to be there until I die. If that's what God wants, it's not a stepping stone to something else, Mm -hmm. but, uh, they made it, you know, pretty clear that, well, we just really don't want to go full time. And I was like, well, that's really what I'm preparing myself for. And I, and I want to be able to do that. Then, uh, a friend of mine, he, he was graduating from seminary and Charlestown Christian Church just across the river uh, from Louisville in Indiana. They were going to need someone, and so we ended up uh, working that out. And, uh, and so we, we were there for a couple of years as I finished up seminary and then, and then stayed there another year or so. So that was around—I uh, was there from 88 to 90, somewhere right around there. And, uh, you know, the church grew there. We, we had, um, you know, some, some good experiences there. Opportunity came to go to Altoona, Pennsylvania. The situation there was the senior minister was getting ready to retire. They wanted to bring somebody in, kind of start making that transition. And so we'd never really, you know, ever really connected with Pennsylvania before. But the church, Altoona, we knew people from Johnson who had come to some of our classmates had come from there. And, and so we, we went there in 1990. Uh, I did singles ministry. I, I did, I'd always been preaching up to then. I, I, just, I was teaching classes, doing singles ministry, also uh, working with Penn State, Penn State Altoona campus, doing some preaching there. And then my desire is like, okay, I, I'm willing to do about anything here, but the goal here was for me to stay on mm-hmm. and preach and and the senior minister, I think, was challenging, uh, you know, kind of challenged at that time about actually retiring, giving up, it, I mean, handing the baton. As, as I think, as I get closer to that age, I understand that battle much more now than I did back then when mm-hmm. I was 28. Mm-hmm. But um, I just really felt like, okay, I just, it's, this is what I'm called to do, and if, if, if that's not going to happen here, then I, I need to go. So we ended up back in Indiana uh, a little church. It didn't make any sense to leave a church of 300 with potential of growth to a little church of 45 in a place called Caddis, Indiana, 
that's not even really on many maps. It's six miles west of Newcastle, Indiana. But we felt like God was, God had his hand in that. And this little church that was on life support said, we are ready to make changes. We are ready to grow. We are ready to do whatever it takes to be a bigger influence and, and a kingdom witness in this community. Now, the beauty of it is that a couple of the elders had kids that had come to Johnson. They had heard things from their own children about, hey, Dad, you need to change this. We need to do this. You need to get, you know. It wasn't like I arrived in the table. I had to set the table. The table was somewhat set that I got to come in and just kind of help continue on that process. And uh, we, I, I look back, Tyson, with such fondness to our times. that We were there from 92 to 2000. That's where our boys were born. Uh, the church grew. We, we had no reason when we first got there. They didn't have a nursery because they didn't have any kids. It was all pretty much silver-haired. It was older people. And we began to believe that God would bring new people and young people. Uh, and it was, I, I still look back with fondness of some of the most interesting things happened in ministry there, of just watching God's people work and watching prayer be, uh, be, be such a priority in what we did. And, and that church grew and grew and we relocated. We were able to relocate a mile down the road uh, on a 20-acre campus. Uh, I mean, quite a change from what this little right. church that started in 1852 that had a, a, a pre-Civil War bell out front from Cincinnati, Ohio that you could ring. It, it's just wild to see how God worked in those times. And uh, it, was, uh, it was really hard to leave there. And, and we had never planned to leave there. Church in, in Carpentersville, Indiana, called and was interested in us, and 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 we'd had opportunities to move during our time there. People interested, but were like, mm, no, we just feel, and we got to a point that we would just it'd be just be a quick rejection every time. You interested? No, interested? No. And then Missy and I were like, well, we really never give God a chance to do anything with it. We, we've already always we've answered already, so maybe we should listen when opportunities come, instead of just quickly just throwing them in the trash can. And so this, this church, um, New Hope Christian Church, was interested. And so, uh, kind of long story short, we, we ended up there, moved there January. Well, we moved actually December of uh, 2000. So I was there from 2001, and we were there till 2012. Again, a nice long ministry there. That's where our boys then kind of went to grade school, so they are you know, junior high, sports, high school, graduated from Southmont High School there. A lot of fond memories there. It was a church that was, again, struggling. There'd been issues with leadership and bad decisions, um, things that had, had, the church now had a nice facility, but multi-million dollars in debt. Some of the decisions had made about 100 people in the congregation leave. And so a lot of just going in there, loving on people, caring for people, preaching truth, building rapport, and getting us back on vision again. Hmm. And a lot of it there, it was, it was tough work. It was challenging work. I remember my first couple of weeks, like the church treasurer coming in and said, well, I hope that we have enough in the bank to cover your paycheck this week. Because we were paying thousands and thousands of dollars a month for a mortgage. And, and it was handcuffing us uh, when it come, comes to ministry. You know, it's hard to it's hard to raise money when you're paying off something compared to oh here's the bright new shiny stuff okay well I'll raise some money for that 
but when it comes to a facility that that you know needed to be paid off and so again god worked in that situation great years there another lot lots of fondness but we were on a mission trip in uh with tcm we were in vienna austria and that's when my phone started blowing up. I was emails, hey, Seymour Heights is looking for someone. We think you might be the person. I'm like, well, I don't think I'm the person. I'm on a mission trip. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but we got back to the States, and Dr. Eubanks, Dr. Eubanks called, and Harold, I think you should consider. And I, well, okay, Dr. Eubanks. And, <laughs> Dr. Eubanks tells you to consider. Yeah, he, he thought <laughs> I should consider it, and uh, I think he's kind of a wise guy. So, um, yeah. We listened, we prayed about it, and then uh, it actually unfolded very quickly. And uh, so I started at Seymour Heights, uh, like I said, February 1st of 2012. And then Missy, she came down at, into the school year with our youngest son. Our oldest at that time was at Purdue University, and our youngest was just finishing up his sophomore year, and Missy was a teacher's aide. So finally we got, so, so that was a challenging part of ministry during those months that I wasn't with my wife, I was living actually at Tim Wingfield and Tim and Joy's basement here on campus, uh, working like crazy, just getting to know people, and she wasn't a part of that with me. And, mm-hmm. and hunting for a house, all those things that were just kind of a, it was a really different season uh, for us. That was challenging, but yet I'd felt, we both had felt God had called us here and, you know, just keep, keep pushing forward. So now we've been here over 10, 10 years. How have you seen that church change in the 10 years you've been there? I've seen it change. We've seen it change, I think, from a bit more inward-looking, hurting church to being a much more outward-looking, loving the community and part of the community church. Mm. And, and someone asked me about this you know, not too long ago. When, when I look back on all the churches I've been involved in, it seems like everyone I've, I've, I've went into— there were, there were a lot of challenges. They, they were either coming through a challenging time, they were on the verge of life support, they were struggling with things. And, and not that I ever signed up to say that's, that's the kind of ministry I want to do, but that seems like it's kind of what I've done. I've walked, God's placed me in, in some challenging places to just get the church back on track, to kind of just love on them again, cast vision, preach truth, build, build up a core again, and then start looking outward instead of just looking inward. Well, uh, my goodness, time flies. So uh, thank you for going through that journey. It's good to you know, see the stops and see how you're discerning God's guidance in every stop. And it, you know, it sounds like he keeps using you wherever he sends you. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, and especially at this time of year, is because you are the president of the Alumni Association for the year, which means you're doing everything related to our upcoming homecoming in February. So uh, tell me a little bit about your vision, what, uh, what you hope to accomplish with homecoming, and what, what do you have in store? Well, I'm happy to, to, to share about that. A few years ago, I, I read a book, and, and it, was, it was Paul David Tripp's book called Dangerous Calling. You know, books are just kind of your best friend when they hit you at the right season. And it's yes. like, for at that season of my life, I'm like, wow, that is so powerful. It's, I think every, every person in ministry needs to read this book, Dangerous Calling. Because Tripp really talks about the danger of when you're in ministry, that you, before long, if, you do, if you're not careful, you don't listen to your own preaching, you have a tendency to um, 
you know, not, not treat people the way that they really need to be treated. You can have an entitlement mentality. You can lose your awe of God. You can just kind of start doing a routine. And, and so just that, that phrase, dangerous calling, has been on my mind now for a while. So when I was um, asked to, to, to be in this role as alumni president and, you know, okay, you get to pick the theme of homecoming, it's like, it was kind of a no-brainer. It's like, that's on my head, a dangerous calling. Because it really is, I think, truly is a dangerous calling in ministry. Now, I'm not saying that ministry is more challenging than being a mechanic or a doctor or, you know, what, whatever the field it might be. But ministry is its own thing, mm-hmm. and it is different, mm-hmm. and, and there are challenges that come with it. And so that's, that's why I wanted to key in on. And so I asked uh, Gary Johnson. I, he came to my mind as well as a person that I think would do a really good job with helping us develop that theme. And so really it's, it's the, the main sessions are going to be about dangerous calling, dangerous compassion, dangerous convictions. And, and we're going to look at, at what, what does God's Word say about, about us being in ministry? How do we, how do we keep developing in ministry how do we keep growing? How do we keep maturing and not get to this point that we think we've arrived and we know how to do all this and no one, you know, no one knows better than me? All, all those things that are dangerous that can come into ministry when we allow it to be a bit more focused on how the culture sees things than what, what Christ says. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of the, the main focus. And I decided, too, that what I really like to do when it came, comes to workshops, well, I mean, Johnson's got it, right? Faith, prayer, work, you know? So I was like, well, let's just look at that in a little different angle. So the workshops are going to be dangerous faith, dangerous prayer, uh, and dangerous work. And so that, that's kind of a little bit what's lined up for, for this coming February. That sounds great. Uh, do you have any other people in mind besides Gary Johnson that's going to be a so, part of this? So, so Gary will be the main speaker. Um, the, the last session on Thursday, I'm still tweaking that a little bit. As far as it's going to be some people sharing stories, and I'm still figuring out the exact who I, who I want there. As far as like the workshops, it's funny. I, I contacted Jody Owens a while, you know, months ago, and said, "Hey, Jody, would you be interested in doing Dangerous Prayer?" <laughs> and he's like, "Why do I get considered the prayer man here? Because I'd really like to do Dangerous Faith." I said, "Okay, dude, you're on." So he's doing Dangerous Faith, Jeff Knoll who I said earlier was my RA, mm-hmm. uh, and Jeff uh, had been involved in the past with Harvest Prayer Ministry. He's preaching in Kentucky now. Oh, yeah. uh, Jeff's going to do Dangerous Prayer, Good call. and then our own Richard Clark and John Strickland are going to do Dangerous Work. And oh, nice. with their with their kind of expertise and leadership, and, and um, so I think those can be kind of some areas that'll, that will be able to, for, for a lot of people, to get something out of, out of one of those. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. What are ways people can be, you know, praying about this? You know, what, how, how are you hoping to recruit? Who are you hoping to recruit to come and be a part of Homecoming? Well, what, what's going to make this one a little bit different, I think, is this is going to be the first one actually in February, full tilt, since, oh, yeah. since 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's going to, I think, have a little different feel. We really want all people of all different age groups and seasons of life to come. No doubt when I look back, like when I was a student here, 81 to 85, it definitely would me. People were, uh, older people in ministry were coming down. This was kind of their shot in the arm, so to speak. 
I know there's a little different vibe from that. Uh, just times have changed and things, but we do hope that that alumni come and and try to take a little break there in the last part of February. Uh, we want to, you know, I think all these things are relevant to the student body that's here right now, and and just pray that even even area churches, you know, could get involved and and be a part of. I mean, it's it's going to be good material. It's going to be challenging material. I think it'd be helpful for any person, their own spiritual journey, but also their, their church community. So we, we pray that we kind of get some momentum back and, uh, and pack the place out. So, so really praying for, praying for our main speakers, praying for just the, the right frame of mind that we come in here to, to really appreciate the heritage and the foundation that has been laid over the years that we we dive back into some of those basics of this calling that God's given us, whether I'm full-time Christian ministry, preaching or teaching or leading worship or whatever I might be, or if I'm in some type of full-time other kind of ministry that isn't technically in the church, but yet I'm I'm focused on God's kingdom and I'm trying to be a godly person and, and, and let his reign and rule be a part of my life and my business. I think there's something uh, for, for that to be offered as well. So, so just praying that our people can come together, praying that we will have a, um, you know, weather's always, that's, that's the one little iffy thing, always it happens uh, in February. It seems like we'll always have some, some wonderful temperatures of 70 degrees, and maybe you get that, that snowstorm that hits on 75 in Kentucky or something. So we'll just pray that it, it becomes uh, no, no issues getting here, and, and, and just pray for there to be a, a time of, of refreshing, it always is a, a great time to catch up with people. We haven't done it on that scale now for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So that, that should be refreshing. Uh, we, we plan to have kind of a, a coffee station and just more extended time for people to just hang out and catch up with each other. It's exciting. Looking forward to that. Well, Harold, that, that sounds exciting. Really looking forward to... Uh... To homecoming this year and I know your, your leadership your preparation for it the planning of it I know it's going to be great looking forward to Gary Johnson and Jody Owens and uh, Jeff Knoll and of course Richard Clark and John Strickland here on yes. campus so that's great that's going to be a, a, a good representation of I, I guess all the diversities of the ministry mm-hmm. as it relates to it's not just vocational right. you know pastoral but it's mm-hmm. ministry in the setting wherever it is that yes. you might be yes so. it is We've blown through the time, and I want to ask you so much more, but I can't, so I've got to go straight to the chase and cut to the last two questions okay. of, uh, of our podcast. So first question is this. Throughout the course of your journey, you've obviously learned a lot uh, about ministry and about life and what have you. So what is something that you've learned throughout your journey that you'd really wish to impress on others? Well, I share this in, in the class I'm teaching right now here at Johnson. Uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And the reason I always lean into that with the students is because you can leave here with your education, you're excited, you're young, you've got the world by the tail, you want to make changes, you see things in churches that need to happen and need to change, and you just want to do all this. It always boils down to if you don't care for people and understand that, that ultimately your, your job is people, your, your ministry is people. If you just go in and push and say, well, this is what we should do, and, and I, don't, I don't really care about what you think. Here's what we need to do. I'm the educated one. I'm the one who's been to, to the university. You better get your U-Haul because you won't last very long in those places. Mm. When you go in and love on people 
and care for people and build rapport with people, there becomes a sense of trust. And when that trust builds, then you can begin to make changes. Mm. You can begin to, to challenge those people and say, hey, this vision isn't big enough, or we've been too inward focused and we need to, you know, those, those issues will be, people will fight you over them until they know that you care about them and you're real and you're authentic. And I, I think in ministry, that's, and, and that really goes, I think, in any job, honestly, any kind of area of, of caring for people and then sharing maybe some things that you know. Uh, the academic world at times can come off the other way. Here's all this stuff that I know. I'm smarter than you, and I'm going to show it. Hmm. Well, that doesn't work with typical people because they, they, want to, they want to know that you're real rather than just a person who's going to throw out your ideas and change everything and then walk away. When I, when I think about leadership you know, in, in a vocational context, uh, you know, get a new leader in a new area, if they're coming in there clubbing people with their changes, exactly, it just doesn't come off well. No, it doesn't. As opposed to if they come in there seeking to understand mm-hmm. the culture and the people and, 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 and building the trust, mm-hmm. it, it just completely changes things. Yeah. Seen it play out too many times in life, and uh, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. That's a good piece of wisdom, so thank you for sharing that. The joke with my class is that they hear it so much in class. I, I'm, I'm teaching right now dynamics of senior leadership. It's the mantra they hear. So, so mm-hmm. when, they, when they leave, they're like, okay, we know. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, but but uh, I, I try to drill that into their heads because it is just so applicable. It's so true. Right. If you take the time to think about it. I mean, yeah, it really is. It has become kind of a trite, cliche mm-hmm. mantra, but no, I mean, if you really take the time to think about it, it, it does make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, last question. I'm going to give you a moment to think about it while I do a commercial. I want you to imagine with me that for the next 60 seconds, everybody in the world has tuned into the podcast. So Big Brother gets to talk to the world for 60 seconds. What are you going to tell the world in the 60 seconds that you have? While you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojourner Podcast has been brought to you today by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Harold Keck, a 1985 graduate of Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee, on to seminary and on to various church stops, currently the preaching minister at Seymour Heights Christian Church here just down the road from Johnson University and also a faculty member here at the college, president of the Alumni Association. We're looking forward to that dangerous calling theme this year. Harold, thank you for being my guest today. What one-minute message would you give to the world? The world still needs Jesus. I think we believe we have educated ourselves, and we've become so tolerant of, of everything that's going on, and we live in such a postmodern, relative world. Whatever's true for you, whatever works for you, go your way, do your thing. That's, that's the direction of many people's lives. However, we all still need Jesus because we are all still sinners. We're not just mistakers. Mm. We are sinners. All of us still need the wonderful, lavish grace of Christ in our lives. And that grace is available. It's not by what we do. It's by what's already been done Mm. for us on the cross. And that gospel might seem old-fashioned. That gospel's not quite hip enough for many people today. 
but that old truth is one that still rings loud and clear. We need a Savior. His name is Jesus. Jesus loves us. He values us. He sees us with great worth. And in a world that we get our worth by our identity, by our job or our degree or what car we're driving, ultimately our identity is to come from Christ. He's the one that put us together. He's the one that created us. And he's going to be the only one who truly is our source of hope. And hope is not... In the New Testament, hope is confident expectation. That's what hope is in the New Testament. It's not wishful thinking. Mm. So we have at our core this confident expectation that we have a Savior who's proved his, his track record to us. He loves us. We still need him. Everyone needs him. Well, uh, I, I appreciate that. And, and so true. Uh, sometimes we just forget. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate it, Tyson. Thanks for, for letting me share today with you. Yeah, Harold, thank you fun. so much for being my guest. Today on the Sojournal Podcast, we've had a pleasure having you in studio today. Thank you. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Lena Gavorsky. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Music by Loyal Love. Tune in to other Sojournal podcasts dropping normally weekly on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening. (music) 